Welcome to the One God Report podcast. Bill Schlegel here. This podcast is called What Does Christ Mass Have to Do with the Passover? Before we get to the topic, just a couple of announcements here. Wrapping up a little bit from the year 2021. Interesting to note what the most listened to One God Report podcast was. Everybody can put in a guess if you want. It was number 39, The Word Became Flesh. Why John 1.14 does not say that God became man. Okay. Actually, I think podcast number 41 and 42 are a little bit more interesting. They actually explain what I think John 1.14 does mean. But, yeah, number 39, I think, was interesting, too. Another announcement I just wanted to make. Recently, Mark Cain the Unitarian Christian Alliance podcast interviewed me. Thanks, Mark, for having me on. We had a pretty good discussion, I think. I also wanted to say that just recently I uploaded a video on another channel that I have on YouTube called the Satellite Bible Atlas. And the video is called The Promised Land is Not a Desert and is a paradigm for the age to come. I find that typical Christians respond to the biblical teaching that our hope is not a disembodied escape, although this is what they've heard for years and years, that our destination or our desire is to go to heaven. But the Bible says that our desire is to be raised from the dead and live on a new, renewed earth. So check that video out if you haven't seen it yet. I'll put a link in the show notes. And some of the comments there from typical, most likely Trinitarian Christians are encouraging, I think, to see that that message resonates with them. And now to the topic at hand, what does Christ Mass have to do with the Passover? These thoughts came to me because I went to a Christmas Eve service at a local, I think fair to say a mega church, probably holds about 2,500 people in it. And I think they have like five or 6,000 people that go to this church just down the road from me here. And this is really the first time in three plus years that I've been in a Trinitarian church. I thought it would be kind of a cultural experience. And honestly, I was right. It was a cultural experience. Now, try to understand a little bit my perspective because I had been living overseas for 34 years, and Christmas in Israel is much, much, much lower key than in America. And I was surprised even here when I go around in the area I live here, and people have all these lights and blow-ups of who knows what. Mickey Mouse somehow is a big part of Christmas now. Of course, Santa Claus and all these other, I see Star Wars. Somehow Star Wars is a big part of Christmas. Very interesting. I'm surprised even in the secular cultural celebration of Christmas. But going to this church, I was surprised in the religious aspects of Christmas. The first thing was, as we all filed in, is that there was a little cup, uh, a plastic cup of grape juice with a wafer inserted in it. You have two different levels. And like I've said before, I'm a slow learner. I didn't realize that, or maybe I forgot, that Christians do the communion or or the Lord's Supper, whatever it's called, 
in connection with the Christmas Eve service. It's a Christ mass from the Catholic world. But this little cup with this, it's really like a styrofoam wafer inside of it. I have not seen these things before. So this is, I look at this and say, wow, this is like totally different from the culture I'm familiar with. And I have some different ideas about the Lord's Passover uh, that I'll explain a little bit here later on. So already I was, I felt like I was, even though I am an American, that I was in a different culture. And then as the service progressed, the singing was confusing. One of the aspects of the visit we had was this confusion between God the Father and God the Son, especially. The, the Spirit was kind of left out. But usually there was a confusion of who was being addressed and who was being spoken to. In the songs, for instance, there was one song where the people were singing, all our praise is to you, Jesus. All our praise is to you, my God. And my 18-year-old son turned to me and said, have they forgotten about the Father? And he's exactly right. When they were singing this song, there was no mention of giving praise to God the Father. It was all, Jesus, you are my God, all my praise is to you. So there was, again, a confusion. Even from their own doctrinal statement, they were straying. You can't give all your praise, can you, to God the Son? I don't, I don't guess I never really thought that even when I was a Trinitarian. And then the pastor in his sermon, he started to talk about all the kind of speculatory stuff that you hear all the time. I heard it all the time when I was in Israel about if there could be shepherds out in the fields in the winter in Bethlehem area, and that this is supposed to be where the, the lambs for the temple were being raised, and all these kind of speculatory things that, from what I know, it all goes back to really these uh, commentaries in the late 1800s, especially Alfred Edersheim, which has some really good points in it, life and times of Jesus the Messiah. But I think he's the one that talked about this. Everybody makes all these speculations now about sheep and shepherds. Can they be in the fields? Whatever. All that stuff was... Okay, I've heard it so many times before, it didn't bug me that much. But what really got me is when the pastor, and he seems like a nice enough guy, when he prayed over the Lord's Supper, communion. Listen to this pastor's prayer before the eating of this little kind of styrofoam wafer. I'll interrupt the prayer a couple times to make some comments. Notice that he's praying to the Father. Father, we thank you. I thank you for coming to this earth, wrapping yourself in human flesh. Let me stop right there. I think from the church's own doctrinal statement, the pastor would be considered a heretic. But it's just an indication of the confusion that Trinitarian theology has caused. And this is a pastor of a large Baptist congregation. And he talked about the Father coming to earth and veiling himself in flesh. The Father, even in the Trinitarian world, did not come to earth. How could a pastor make that mistake? Just so much confusion. And then he says that God the Father veiled himself in flesh. Now, even if he had said God the Son veiled himself in flesh, do you see what he's doing? He's eliminating the man, Christ Jesus. 
So if God was only veiled in flesh, whoever this was is not a real human person. He's only wearing a flesh suit. He's not a human person. In this case, he has the Father veiled in flesh. On a rescue mission to redeem those who would cry out to you and profess faith in you, God, you came to save the world. And so I pray, God, that for those in here today who are unsure, that they would surrender it all today. We would celebrate this Christmas, not only your birth, which is amazing to celebrate, but also the fact that you will die and be raised from the dead. Again, he's praying to the Father, and he's saying that they are celebrating the birth of the Father. Something's wrong. And now he just said that the Father died and was raised from the dead. What? When I heard him pray that, I wanted to just tap the guy next to me on the shoulder and say, do you think there's anything wrong with what he just prayed? But I knew I couldn't do it at that point. And I'm wondering if anybody else in this whole auditorium of, like I say, there must have been 2,000 people in there, thought, hold on a second, Pastor, what did you just say? That the Father veiled himself in flesh, died, and was raised from the dead? Didn't anybody think that there was something wrong with this prayer? Apparently not, because I see the sermon is on this church's website. I'll put a link to it. So if they've put it up, apparently there wasn't much negative response to what this pastor said. Thank you that you're the substitution for our sin. No, he's not. In the Bible, God, the Father, does not veil himself in flesh by being born and dying. Nowhere in the Bible is such a thing said to be the substitute for our sin. And then listen to his prayer before drinking this little uh, grape juice in this small cup. He has to tear off a different layer as he prays to the Father. For the bottom part, Father, we thank you. We thank you, God. Uh, the blood is, the cup is a reminder. It looks like just a simple liquid or just juice in a cup, but God, it's way deeper than that. It's a reminder that you died and you bled. Again, this leader is praying to God the Father and thanking him that he came to earth and died and bled. Why this confusion? Why can't even a pastor keep it straight in his head which member of the Trinity has died? Now, he, these are Trinitarians. These are not oneness, folks. Maybe a oneness modalist would think that God the Father veiled himself in flesh. But now, these are Trinitarians. Their doctrinal statement differentiates between God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And I think this is probably typical of the Trinitarian world, where in their minds they flip back and forth between a three-self God and a one-self God. This pastor definitely is confused about who died for his sin. And through that we have life, and not just life today, but life for eternity. 
grateful for that. Thank you for allowing us to have access to the Father, relationship with God. And we ask that today we would remember the true meaning of Christmas. We ask it in the only name we know how. And that's the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So he thanked the Father for coming and dying and bleeding in the name of Jesus Christ. It's just, like I say, it's so much confusion. And at that point, my two feelings toward the people listening was, first, that maybe I should get out of there because there might be a lightning bolt from heaven that zaps this place. Like when Jehu gathered all the servants of Baal in the temple of Baal in Samaria, and he said, make sure there's not one worshiper, one servant of Yudhe in here. Is there any servant of Yudhe in here? Wow, I kind of felt like I better get out of here because who knows what's going to happen. But on the other hand, I look at the people and they're, they're nice people. Some of them are genuine. And I, I felt sorry for them because here's a leader saying this. If he's confused about the father coming to die for them, the people themselves are confused as well. And I would just hope that somebody heard that and said, Pastor, I don't think that's quite right. Why so much confusion? God is not the author of this Trinitarian confusion. Making that Christmas Eve visit also made me want to know about what Christmas really means. And I'm a slow learner. Maybe I've learned this before, but this time I really wanted to know, what, what's the idea of the Mass? Where does it come from? And this is a Catholic thing. This whole idea of a Mass as a celebration of the Lord's Passover is a Catholic tradition. And I must admit that in all of my Trinitarian years, I didn't know that at this time, it's December 25th, the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church that got this from the Catholic Church were celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus on the day of his birth. Because that's what the Mass is about. Mass comes from the Latin phrase that's said at the very end of the Catholic ceremony. Apparently, it's pronounced something like ite misse est. And that misse mass means dismissal or it's been sent. And originally, it meant that the sacrifice that the priest was performing with the bread and the wine, which is the body of Jesus in some way, shape, or form, that that sacrifice had gone to God. It had been sent up to God. Now, I see there's also some later interpretation where now that that sacrifice has been made, the people are dismissed to go and be good witnesses. But from what I can see, the original meaning was that that sacrifice, that the bread and wine in the Catholic tradition, that the priest was actually performing a real sacrifice of Christ again. Now, I think especially for biblical Unitarians, but also for Protestants in general, we know that there's a lot of stuff from Catholic tradition that is just that, Catholic tradition. And I think it's quite possible that as with the Trinity and their Christology ideas, 
the Protestant church during the Reformation didn't rid itself of that Catholicism. It also didn't rid itself of this so-called practice of the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist. This little cup and this little wafer is very foreign to me because I've been living in Israel for 34 years. It looks like something totally different from the Bible. Leave it to the Americans to make it all hygienic and put it in a little cup that churches distribute this little cup and this little styrofoam wafer, but this is very foreign. And quite honestly, I think it has almost absolutely nothing to do with Christ's Passover. So here are a few challenging words. Allow me to suggest that when Jesus celebrated that Passover meal with his apostles in Jerusalem, as recorded, for instance, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, where Jesus says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then he takes bread and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you're a Jew in the first century AD and you're sitting down for the Passover meal and your rabbi says, do this in remembrance of me, what would you think he's talking about? Would you think he's talking about his birth celebration? You're sitting at the Passover. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, when you celebrate the Passover, remember me. Not to the exclusion of the Exodus story. No way. Of course, you don't exclude the Exodus story, which is the main aspect of what Passover recalls and, and describes and tells is how God intervened in Israel's affairs by bringing them out of Egypt and through the Reed Sea. God's redemption of Israel is parallel to his redemption that he's working through Jesus Christ. But as much as you disassociate the Lord's Passover from the actual Passover setting, I believe you lose the meaning. You make it mean something different. You make it mean whatever you want to mean. And I think Protestants can understand that because we've seen to what extent this so-called communion Lord's Supper has gone to in the Catholic world. So you might take into consideration that when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he meant the Passover. And usually the response is, well, what about Paul's description in 1 Corinthians 11? Isn't it something that's repeated a lot or more than during the time of Passover? You know, once a week, once a month? Well, I would say a couple things about that. First of all, if you read the account of Jesus' last Passover with the apostles in the Gospels, there's no indication of any kind of a repeated ceremony. That's more often than just the celebration of the Passover. It's not from the Gospels. So what about Paul in 1 Corinthians 11? The key verses are probably 1 Corinthians 11, 25 and 26, where Paul says, in the same way, also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, you won't find that phrase as often as you drink it in the Synoptic Gospels at all. So that's the phrase that 
the church has now built up this whole essential celebration. I think in Catholicism, the Mass is the most important aspect of the religion. So from this, really, from this one phrase in 1 Corinthians 11, in the main. So what does as often as you drink it mean? Does that mean you drink it once a week, once every month? By the way, in that same passage, it says right here, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So it's a little bit strange to be celebrating the Lord's birth with this ceremony. It's a recollection of the Lord's death until he comes. That is, that he'll come again. So, as often as you drink it. Could that phrase as well mean as often as you celebrate the Passover? Note, the book of 1 Corinthians is written around the time of Passover. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul mentions to these Gentiles to celebrate the Passover. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now there you can see that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There's no reason, again, to sacrifice him once again and send that sacrifice of the Christ up to God. But my point is, Paul is saying to Gentiles, let us therefore celebrate the feast here in 1 Corinthians. Could it be that even 1 Corinthians 11 is in the context of an admonition for some kind of a remembrance of who Jesus is, his death, during the Passover time. Another reason to think that is Paul's last sort of greeting at the end of the book in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where he says, But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So it's again, it's quite likely that Paul is writing 1 Corinthians around the time of the celebration of Passover, since he says he's going to stay in Ephesus, where he wrote the book from, until Pentecost, which would be 50 days after the Passover. So to sum up, I would just encourage people to think a bit, is this so-called communion celebration, this Lord's Supper, and all of the confusion that surrounds it, and all of the, quite frankly, weird ideas and practices that have grown up around it, could it be one of those traditions of Catholicism that should be re-examined like Catholicism's theology and Christology? And also, the fact that a pastor of a large Baptist church would make such a mistake in his prayer to God a prayer that is so contrary to everything the New Testament says, not to mention even against 
his own church's Trinitarian doctrinal statement, something's wrong in the Trinitarian world. God is not the author of this confusion. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, a man, Christ Jesus. Yishma'u anavim v'yismahu, the humble will hear and rejoice. <laughs>